Today I want to continue to speak about a little series that we started about how to know Christ. And I want to know Christ. And um, I was hoping today that we would get through both the last uh, four and five, but as the week went on and the studying went on, I realized we're not going to get to both of them. So we're going to talk about item number four today. But we began this a couple of weeks ago, and there's five different areas that we were concentrating on. And um, the five areas are, to know Christ, we must, number one, walk in his suffering. Number two, be dissatisfied Christians. Number three, be disciplined Christians. Number four, be forgetful Christians, which we're going to talk about today. And number five, to be heavenly-minded Christians. Now, this is the text that we're, ta- we're studying, we're getting all this from, is in the book of Philippians, chapter 3. Let's read that text, uh, verses 10 through 14. Paul is talking to the Philippian church, and he says this, I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that, I've already, uh, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now I know that whenever you are in a series of messages that some don't like series because we spend the first five or ten minutes of every sermon talking about what we talked about the past two weeks. But you know, that's part of it. We need to make sure we keep it all in context a little bit. So we talked the first week about walking in the suffering of Christ. And um, I, will allow, I will let you, you tell me what we talked about then, and we'll know if it review is required. <laughs> what did we talk about when we talked about walking as Christ walked in his suffering? Does anybody remember why we walk like Christ walked in his suffering? For what purpose? All right, let's review. <laughs> that you, you got notes. Tell me. Tell me one. Okay. Still going to review, Jackie. That's good, though. Good answers. You are paying attention. I like it. But to walk in Christ's sufferings mean that we are not suffering for suffering's sake. Number one, we don't glorify the process of suffering. It doesn't make you more spiritual the more you suffer. All right? So let's not do that. Let's not go there. We're not trying to say, well, you have to, be, you have to suffer if you're going to be spiritual. No, that's not the point. But... Clearly, there is a purpose in suffering for Christ, and in that is that we are to glean out everything that God has for us in the midst of seeking Him more in the process of our suffering. That there are some things that we are to do, that we are not just to to strive to get through the process of suffering, rather we are to thrive as the result of getting through the suffering process. We said a couple major points. One, we can only attain in the future what we are willing to work for or suffer for today. 
You can only attain in the future what you're willing to work for today. That's number one. And then uh, we talked about uh, James McDonald. We, he weighed in on the conversation as well. And he said this. He said, the pain will not go away until the reason for its arrival has been completed. If God is placing something in your heart or in your life that causes suffering, understand that the quickest way to get through it is to say, God, what are you teaching me? What do you want me to learn here? The pain will not go away until its purpose for its arrival has been completed. And he also talked about God's love is not a pampering love. It's not the kind of love that just comes in and wants the boo-boo to go away and to put a Band-Aid on it and a little, a little t- topical dressing. No, God's love is a perfecting love that goes all the way to the root, all the way to the cause of the hurt. And he says, I want to take care of the purpose. I want to take care of the cause of the hurt as well as the superficial problems. But God's love is not just pampering, it's perfecting. He's concerned, yes, he's concerned about our physical life, but he's more concerned with our spiritual life and ultimately where are we going to spend eternity, heaven or hell? And God is much, he's very, he loves us so much that he's willing to put us through a little hell to get us to heaven. Do you understand by that? That he's, he's willing to put us through some stuff in this world that might feel like hell for us right now, but it's all purpose to get us to heaven. So the suffering process is, has a purpose for us to persevere through it. All right. And then we talked about um, that we are to be dissatisfied Christians. And, and we didn't like the term dissatisfied because it, it gives us a negative connotation. So who can tell me what was a better term that we used? Rather than being a dissatisfied Christian, what are we supposed to be in the positive? You're to be hungry. We're to be thirsty. We're to be thirsty Christians, hungry for more of God. We're to be learn to be content on the physical things and dissatisfied in the spiritual things. That's a very important. We had a great discussion over that and how, how the devil often brings us into a, a confusing moment or time in our life where we, he, he wants us to be content in our spiritual life and hungry for the physical things of life. He wants to make us, he wants to give us a drive to gain more of the temporary things that are going to burn up in the end. And ultimately, these things probably will be taking you further away from God. He wants to get us hungry for that and contented in our spiritual life. And God's saying just the opposite, guys. He's saying, listen, I want to make you thirsty. I want you to be hungry for the things of God, the things that last forever. And learn to be contented in the things that burn up. Learn to be contented in the things that we can't take with us anyways. So we're to be dissatisfied. And then second, the third thing we talked about being disciplined. And we talked about there is that we as athletes are disciplined in our training to win the race. Paul talks about that. That we are to be um, disciplined and we are to train hard to win the race or the competition that is going to take us to the prize. And here's a very important part of that part of being disciplined. Who are we in competition with? Who are we competing against? Am I competing, against, am I competing with you to get the prize of heaven? Am I competing? Is this church competing with the church across town? Are you and I competing internally? No, who's, who's in competition? Ourselves. We have a flesh man and we have a spiritual man. And those two entities inside of us are battling to who's going to be in control. Who's going to win the race of my personal life? Is it my flesh or my spirit? 
That's what he's talking about, how Paul beats his body into submission so that he now becomes a disciplined man in his walk for Christ. And that he's not allowing the flesh man to get overly uh, compensated or overly indulged. Rather, he's keeping that man down and he's bringing a spiritual man up so that the spiritual man wins the race. And when the spiritual man wins the race, heaven is the goal. But if the physical man wins the race, the flesh man wins the race, hell is the goal. There's two different goals, heaven or hell. Which race is good, which place you're going to go depends upon which man wins the race. And that's within you and me personally. That's not about us. It's not about Christians. It's about me personally. I need to make sure that I am focusing on my personal race. And who am I feeding? And then today, we're going to talk about being forgetful Christians. Our text says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Forgetting what is behind. Now, what is Paul talking about when he says forgetting what is behind? Now, first of all, being forgetful is not typically a good trait. Being forget, forgetful people, typically that's a negative thing in a person's life. That's either a person that's not paying attention and he's just not with it, or it could be we're not aging so gracefully, <laughs> we're forgetting more things. So typically, being forgetful is not a good thing. So why does Paul suggest that we are to be forgetful? What are we supposed to forget about? Well, there's two major areas. There are the bad things that we don't want to remember, and there are the good things that keep us living in our past so that we don't want to move beyond into our future. Let's talk about these things. What, let's talk about the good things first. Is, is that true? Is there, are there things that are... Are there good things that God has blessed us with that we're not supposed to remember? What about the old song that tells us, count your blessings? Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Why are we supposed to forget that? Are we supposed to forget that? What kind of good things are we not supposed to remember? Well, can we be guilty of living so much in our past successes and in our past blessings that we've been neutralized in our moving forward? Can we be? Can we be so enamored with the blessings of God in our physical life or in the way that God blessed us in the good old days or last month or even last week's service? that we aren't really digging in for today because we're satisfied with what God has blessed us with? If that's the case, then I should be forgetting about such times and moving forward, asking God to say, God, what's in store today? What do you have in store for me today? Rather than me living on my past experiences, rather than living on the fact that I was baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was 12 years old, and I haven't done anything since, (laughs) But I was baptized. Come on. We've been there a little bit. We can't be living as old athletes live in our glory days. If that's what we're doing, then are we really moving forward? Or are we living in our past? Even if it was a good past. If I find myself content in 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 my spiritual life that I lived for many, many years without an increase of spiritual appetite for more of God, then it's time for me to forget some things. 
that it's time for me to forget about some of the things that I had in the past and ask God to give me a new hunger, a new thirst for today, for tomorrow. So there are some good things that I need to forget about if they're holding me back. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. What are these things that hinder and the sin? See, not everything that hinders is a sin. My past blessings are not a sinful thing. They're not bad. But I have to throw it off. If it hinders me from moving forward, I have to throw it off. And I have to say, Lord, relieve me from that sense of going backwards to live in the glory days. I want the glory days today. I want them tomorrow, and I want them the next day. And so, God, give me a hunger and an appetite for tomorrow so that I'm not satisfied living in my past. And when I can get that into my spirit now, I can count my many blessings. And I can say, God, thank you so much for everything you've provided for me. But God, I don't want, I want more than that. I want to be dissatisfied. That's what he's talking about, how this all ties together. I want to be more hungry for tomorrow than I was for yesterday. I want to get better tomorrow than I was yesterday. So sometimes we need to forget about the good things so that we can move on into the future. Now, maybe this hits for some of us here closer than others. I'm not sure. But I cannot make that determination for you. You are the only one, you and Jesus are the only ones that know your heart. So if you, are, if you have a tendency to be living in the past, you need to do some self-evaluation. You need to say, Lord, would you revive me? The, the word revival comes into your personal life. Would you revive me and make me hungry? Thank you for all the blessings. I appreciate that, Lord. I really do. But God, I want to be hungry. That's a determination that only you can make. I can't make it for you. I really, I, I feel more led today. I'm telling I'm going to talk about, about that. I feel more led and more burdened in my heart today for those that have the bad things in their life that they can't forget about. And I want, to, I want to talk about that for the next few minutes. But before we can really talk about that, we need to talk more about the good news of the gospel of Jesus. See, what's so special and amazing about the gospel is that Jesus came for one primary purpose, and that is to pay a penalty of our sins that we couldn't pay on our own. That's the good news. Jesus came to, to pay for a penalty of your sin, of my sin, that I or you could not pay on our own. That's why he came. And with that simple statement, we are free from every single thing that we've ever done that separates us from God's righteousness. When we can accept that one simple statement that Jesus paid for my sin, then I am free from my sin. But we need to dig a little deeper. Why? Why is that important? First of all, we recognize that God is holy, just, and righteous. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 16. But the Lord Almighty will be exalted in his, by his justice, and the holy God will be proved holy by his righteous acts. We need to understand the character of God better so we can understand the fallen nature of me and why I need to have Jesus 
to bridge the gap between righteous, holy God and sinful, broken man. All right? So let's understand the righteousness of God. And if you look at the Bible, if you just take a study and go back and peruse the Bible and, and search on some terms for God's holiness, you will find verse after verse after verse that declares the holy nature of God. A holy God that requires that he also then is a just God, demanding justice when his commands are not kept. God demands justice because that's his character. God cannot wink at sin. He cannot give it a buy. Psalm chapter 50, verse 6, And the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for he is a God of justice. A God of justice demands payment, and he demands that penalties are paid without exception. See, if there's one exception made, one exception made at all, in all of time, in all of the universe, if God makes one exception to his demand of justice, then he no longer is a just God. Understand that. He does not look at me as a special person. He does not look at you as a special person and say, well, I'll let that slide by on you because you're so special. If he did that for you, he'd have to do it for everybody. It would take his justice away and he would no longer be a just God. So he demands justice. Understand how important that is. God demands that. Now, we all know how sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, death entered the world because death is the penalty of sin. Prior to sin, there was no death. Prior to Adam and Eve falling in the garden, they were created to be eternal beings. There was no death. Nothing died until they sinned. And then death entered into the picture. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 tells us, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. So death now is a result of one man's sin. And because of that one man, we've all sinned. The, genera- the sins of the father passed down through generation of generation of generation to us. Therefore, death now is the penalty of sin, and since we're all born into the sinful nature, our natural path in this life can only be death eternally. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. Now, I am so glad that that scripture doesn't stop there. Because if the, if the scripture stopped there with a period, then I and you have no hope. Because you and I are sinful people. But he continues, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, what is this gift of God that he's talking about? The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is this gift? You see, if there is a penalty to be paid to satisfy a just and righteous God, somebody had to pay the penalty. Somebody had to pay it. And because I can't pay it on my own, I had to have someone come on my behalf in my stead and pay the penalty. And that person is Jesus. That person is Jesus. Matthew chapter 26, verse 28. 
Jesus is saying, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus paid for my sins to satisfy a righteous, holy God. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. And it's declared throughout all the Bible that Jesus is the gift given to mankind, that if we were to believe on him and his death and resurrection, and by his death and by his blood, as a result of that, he paid the penalty for my sin, a penalty that none of us could pay on our own. Romans chapter 5, verse 15 through 17. I want to read this, and I want to read this very slowly, and I want to make sure we understand this passage. It's very important that we understand this. But the gift is not like the trespass or the sin, okay? Put or the sin in for the word trespass. For if the many, meaning all of mankind, died by the trespass or the sin of the one man, meaning Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift, meaning the sacrifice to pay for my sin, that gift that came by the grace of God, by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, that overflows to the many, meaning all of mankind, nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin, meaning Adam's sin, the judgment, here's the key, the judgment followed one sin. If it was only one sin in the world, judgment had to be meted out and brought condemnation, but the gift or the payment of sin followed many trespasses or many sins and brought justification. For if, by the trespass or by the sin of the one man, Adam, death reigned through that one man, who's Adam, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness, meaning the forgiveness of sin, reign in life through their one man, Jesus Christ? Lots of words there, but each one of those words are significant. Now, let me, let's sum it up in this way. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and God's acceptance because God is a just God. We've all sinned. In our own ability, we will never be able to have relationship with God, and thus we are doomed to die. But because God loves us so much, he sent Jesus into this world to be our gift of eternal life by taking on our sin and paying the penalty that God requires due to his justice and his holiness. Therefore, as we realize this, all we have to do is believe that Jesus is who he said he was, that he did what he said he did, and that we ask him to forgive us of our sins and by doing that, we have accepted the free gift of eternal life, therefore rescuing us from eternal death. Now, I've said a lot of words. I've said all that here so that we could go, go then back and answer the question, why our sins need to be forgiven by God and how they're to be forgiven. And once they're forgiven, what, what happens to the sin? Once they're forgiven, what happens? Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Because of Christ's sacrifice, you and I have been set free from the law of the sin, which is the wages of sin is death. And we've been set free. We've been given new life. We've been born again. 
And now we're no longer the same. Well, there is no condemnation for a man that's been born again. Once I've accepted Jesus and believe that he's forgiven my sin, I am no longer under condemnation. Now, this is a good time for us just to pause a minute here and just understand what we've just said. Because to go to the next step, we need to take care of something first. Just close your eyes with me, if you will. Let's just do a little self-evaluation. If there's anything that's left within me, if I have any sin, any lingering sin in my life, now is a good time to take care of it. Now is a good time to say, Jesus, would you please forgive me of my sin? Would you, first of all, point it out to me? If I'm deceived by a lifestyle of something, would you make that deception clear to me? Would you clear up my heart? Would you open up my eyes and let me see truly what sin is in my life? And when I see it, would you remove it by the blood of Jesus? Amen. Now, if you've taken care of some issues, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 is for you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. Amen. That's you. That's you and I today. Everyone that just confessed a sin or cleared up something in their life or some area of life, if you've done that, you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come, and now you stand before God uncondemned. And now when he looks upon you, he does not see a sinful man. He sees a righteous man by the blood of Christ. Now, that's cool. But why then do we struggle? more with this. See, God doesn't look at us the same anymore. So why do we look at ourselves the same? Whereas there's a problem here of forgetting the past that it's not so much God, God's problem, it's more my problem because I can't forgive myself. And this is where I think that we have many struggles in our lives, that there are things that we've done that we just can't forget about. We just can't forgive ourselves about it. And God's saying, guys, I've already forgiven you. Let it go. Let it go. You want freedom? You want to know Christ? Let it go. He's paid the price. We've, 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 we've often heard it said, and maybe even say it ourselves, that, that God forgets our sin after he forgives us. But is that really true? Let's think about that for a minute. Does God really forget things? I don't think he forgets. How can God forget? I can't forget. How can God forget? I think what he does is something much more powerful than forgetting. You see, the problem with forgetting is that sometimes we remember when we least expect to. How many times have you been in a discussion with somebody and you're trying to tell them something and you forget it? And that little man's running around in your brain trying to find that word and you just can't remember that word and, and you just, for the life, you, you, you've forgotten it. And then you go on and a couple hours later, you're not thinking about it and all of a sudden it comes back to you. Oh, now I remember what I was going to think about. See, if that's the kind of forgetting God does, that doesn't give me any peace. I don't want God just to forget because he might remember sometime. 
like I remember things. So he doesn't just forget, but he makes a conscious choice that he will never remember again. See, the devil wants us to remember. The devil wants us to think that God just forgets, like I forget. Because if I forget, I'm going to remember. And if therefore, if God's going to forget, then there's a time God's going to remember. And the devil's saying, you know, he's going to bring it back. He's going to bring that sin back to you and he's going to bang you. He's going to hit you with a hammer because that's the kind of God he is. He makes you feel good for the moment, but it won't be long and you're going to fall in that sin again and God's going to say, I knew you were, couldn't do it. I knew you were a loser. And he's going to throw you out. That's what the devil wants you to think. He's going to throw you out. But that's not what the Bible says. That's not the God that I serve. I want a God that does more than just forget. I want a God that chooses no longer to remember so that when he makes a choice, he will never come back on it. So his choosing not to remember is much more powerful than his forgetting. Psalm chapter 103, verses 9 through 12. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now let me ask you a question. How far is the east from the west? They never meet. North and south meet. The north and south meet at the equator. But east and west never meet. Therefore, God never brings your transgressions back. As far as the east is from the west, he, remo he removes your sins once you're forgiven. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25. I, even I, am he, this is God speaking, who blots out your transgressions for my sake and remembers your sins no more. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, For I will forgive their wickedness and will, and will remember their sins no more. Do you hear it? He said it numerous times. That's because he's true in it. He will not remember your sins. Why is this important? Why is this so important? Because I need to understand that God sees me as righteous. I, therefore, have relationship with a holy and righteous God because he no longer sees my sin. The problem, though, lies for many people in that they can't forgive themselves. This is what Paul is talking about when it comes to forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Forgetting what is behind. He tells us that once we've been forgiven... It's time, it's time for you to forgive yourself. It's time for you not to remember your sin any longer. Now, we can learn from our past mistakes. We can learn from lessons learned. That's okay, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with learning from a screw-up or a mistake. But we are not to be holding on to a past sin. Because if we do, if we are, then who do you think you are? In all honesty, let's just see it for what it is. It's prideful. <laughs> it's prideful because you're saying you're bigger than God. God can choose to remember it, but I can't. 
Therefore, I must be more powerful than God. Now, come on. We know that's not true. I'm not trying to hammer you here with this one, but at the same time, just recognize what it is in your life. If you can't forgive yourself, understand God's forgiven you, so it's time for you to forgive yourself. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 15. When you were dead in your sins and, and, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public, public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Man, it's just all throughout God's word. So it's time. It's time that we forgive ourselves. It's time we move on. It's time we don't listen to the devil. If you hear a little voice coming back to you to say, but you're not worthy, say, yeah, you're right. I'm not. But Jesus is. So get out of my face. Devil, leave me alone. Just leave me alone. I know it's you speaking to me. I know it's you speaking to me because God would never talk to his righteous person like that. He would, not, he would never talk to his son and daughter like that. God would never come back to you and say, you're unworthy. Because he's not looking at you anymore. He's looking at Jesus in you. And he would never tell his son, Jesus, you're not worthy. So therefore, he'll never tell you that. But if you hear that ever come in your mind, understand who's talking to you. Understand that we are in warfare. And the devil's going to talk to you. As long as you're alive, the devil's going to talk to you. And he's going to tell you you're a loser. And God's going to say, no, you're not. You're not. That he forgave us all our sins. He's canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. Amen. Now, there's a couple other quick things that we need to remember when it comes to forgiving ourselves. There are some sins that we can make amends for, and there are some that we can't. There are some sins we can make an amend for and some that we can't. For those that we can do something about, do it. Go back, say you're sorry. Go back, repay the debt. Go back and do what you can do with people to clear the air, to make sure there's no... Nothing that's flagrant or obvious hanging between your brother. We're told to do that before we take communion, by the way. If, there are, if you have an ought with your brother, go to your brother first. Deal with it. Then bring your sacrifice to the Lord, right? If there is something you can do about your sin, do it. That's the easy one. But there are some sins that you can't go back to. There are some things that are just too eternal. And I'm not going to tell you what they are. You know. But here's the key to those. Learn to leave those at the feet of Jesus because he's already forgiven it. <laughs> he's already forgiven it. He's not holding it against you anymore. I don't care what it is. There's no sin big enough that God says, I can't forgive it. There's nothing that he is holding on to you to say, it's too big. Nothing. And I know there's struggles in people's lives. I can sense it. I know that we struggle with this. And all Jesus is saying, would you just let it go? Would you let it go and let me be who I am to you? Would you let me be your Savior, completely be your Savior, and free you from your sin of your past so you can forgive yourself and move on? And when you forgive yourself and move on, you'll know me. You'll know me for who I really am. 
because I paid the price. I gave it all. I died on that cross. I know what suffering is. I know what pain is. I know what scourging is. I know what it is to be rejected by people. I paid your price. Now let it go. Jackie, would you come? There's not one sin that Jesus can't forgive. I just got to say it again. There's not one sin big enough. I read his devotional just recently again. You guys think all I read is James McDonald, but I'm sorry, he just comes across my desk quite a bit. And he's talking to me here about Philippians, the same passage we just read. James says, we have all made choices we'd like to change, but no amount of remorse can rewind that clock. It's far better to repent where we haven't and lay hold of God's new things. The Apostle Paul got this. Look at how he handled his past. Paul had a past. Do you know how bad Paul's past was? Paul killed people. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what ahead, I press on toward the goal. Paul essentially knew that if I'm going to lay a hold of the purpose of, for which Christ laid hold of me, I'm going to have to forget some things. We're going to have to forget some things that we've done regretfully. We've all made mistakes. We've all made mistakes, but God is saying, guys, I don't care how bad they were. If you will let me, I will take care of it for you. And I will truly bring healing into your body. I will truly bring healing into your mind. I will truly bring healing into your emotions. I will bring you in complete relationship with me again. If you will just let it go and trust me with it and don't pick it up again. James goes on to say, perhaps there is a pattern of sin in your life or an addiction you're battling. Maybe you're trapped in fearful anxiety or a relational heartbreak that just doesn't seem to get to a better place. Stare too long and you may feel like it's hopeless. There's no way out of this, God. My life isn't what I thought it would be. I've only made it worse with my choices. I'm too far gone for a new thing. He says, listen, loved one, your situation is no surprise to the one who made you. God is patient with you. He's patient with you. I just think there's some breakthroughs. I just want to take the next few minutes. And I don't want to rush this. It's 5 to 12. and In five minutes you can leave, but not before. But if you want to stay here and linger a little bit, and if you want some breakthroughs, I'm telling you, the power of God is here to break through this morning. Listen, folks, God is doing an amazing thing in this church. He's doing an amazing thing, and this is where it's going to start again. If you're struggling, if you just can't get a breakthrough, it's maybe because you haven't forgiven yourself. So let's just take the next time. I know there are people that can pray. And I just want those that can pray to make themselves available to pray. But if you have something in your life that you just can't break through, maybe it's a good thing. Maybe you're holding on to the good things. Maybe you're so enamored with yourself for what you were last week, you can't get over it to get to the next week. Maybe so. Or maybe there's a hurt. Or maybe there's something in your life that is so painful you can't get by that. But I'm telling you, God wants to wipe the slate clean. He wants to take this to the next level. And this is what it takes. 
Would you stand with me? Would you be bold enough to move around? If you have something you need a breakthrough, would you just come up and just spend time with the Lord and just let him free you from your past? Thank you, Jesus. I will sing for you alone and rescue this life. Jesus, you have set me free. You alone took away all sin and disgrace. When you gave your life to ransom me, I am forgiven at the foot of the cross. I am thank you for this day. I thank you, Father, for your mercy and your grace. I thank you for the message. I thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, you bring it to life in us, that you bring it to life in us, and that you make us truly who you are, that who you see us as. God, I pray for forgiveness. I pray for, for, for forgetfulness. I pray for freedom in our life, freedom in this church, freedom in our community, freedom in our homes. God, we just declare you to be who you are and we give you complete authority to move in our hearts and lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.